0: I, for one, am uh, particularly excited to uh, be here tonight. I stand before you with much anticipation of uh, what God will do tonight. And I want to begin with uh, this question, if you don't mind. Have you ever been on a date? Um, and actually, I, some of you are like, no. <laughs> um, look, it's all good. Give it time. Uh, probably will happen. Anyway, have you ever been on a date? get in the car, or whatever you, some of you I know drive a motorcycle, or a moped, or a BMX, whatever, you get into your mode of transportation with your date, and as the guy, guys, have you ever done this before, you're really trying to be gracious, uh, forthright, encouraging, so you turn to your date, in this case for me, my spouse, and you say something to the effect of, honey, I would love for you to tell me where you'd like to go to dinner tonight, right, and again, you're trying to be very, very kind, and generous, and gracious, Recognizing that she may have different taste buds than you do, and so uh, and and often this is the way my conversation with my wife goes. She'll say, uh, "No, like wherever's cool." Um, okay, uh, honey, I really tonight like want, I want you to pick where. Like I I don't care. Like we'll go wherever you want to go. No, seriously, like you pick. Like it doesn't matter. Like we'll never. Um, and so this goes back and forth. Now I don't I don't know how many of you, like this has caused major fights in my marriage. Like I'm serious. <laughs> Like, we, we argue sometimes all the silliest things, like, let this thing escalate for about two, it's like, pick the restaurant! You know what I'm, i mean, it's just like getting, but eventually, like, someone's going to have to give in. So she's like, listen, honey, seriously, just pick the restaurant. And so, I inevitably will say, Texas Roadhouse, right? Because it's the best restaurant ever created, right? God created it specifically for the enjoyment of humans. Anyway, um whatever, I, I name a restaurant, and then I, like, look over, and she's, she's got a frown on her face, and I'm like, what's wrong? Well, I, I don't want to go there. I'm, what are you, we've just, are you kidding me? Like, you just told me to pick, has that ever happened to you, right? Like, it's crazy. It gets so frustrating when uh, all of a sudden, you're trying to be gracious in planning, and uh, your plan goes awry. We find ourselves very uh, planned people, some of us. How many of you guys ever had a trapper keeper when you were younger, right? You guys remember those? That may be a bit above some of your times, which is unfortunate because they were a thing of beauty. Uh, How many of you guys know what a Trapper Keeper is, right? If you don't, Google image it later. It's an amazing piece of artillery for schoolmates. Uh, You can put all of artillery, probably the wrong word there. You can put folders and all kinds of things in it. Anyway, how many of you guys would confess to being like really, really planned out? You're planned to a T. That's your personality. That's who you are. Everything's written out, okay? Okay. Several folks, other people are still writing the question down, you're so planned. Uh, How many of you guys are really like, you're fly by the seat of your pants, go with the flow kind of folks? There you go. Yeah, some of you didn't even hear that question, you're texting someone. Anyway, um, many of you know I I love my whiteboard, and so as we're getting going tonight, I wanted to take a, show you a picture of my whiteboard from today. This is what it looked like. Um, So, uh, let's say, let's say, just hypothetically. I handed you a dry erase marker, which is an amazing thing, isn't it? Like, you give the normal human a dry erase marker, and it's like, it's like candy to a kid. It's just, at least for me, it's awesome. And I just said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write the script. And you ask me, because you're confused, what do you mean? Like, I'm not a playwright person. Um, And I said, no, no, I want you to take these categories of your life plan, and I want you to write it out exactly how you think it should go. What your spouse will be like, where you'll live, the ideal amount of children you have—two and a half is not appropriate number. That's half of a child. That's not <laughs> real. Okay. Um, what your money situation will be, where you go to school. I know many of you guys have done this. I know some of you female species here. Uh, when you were a girl, like you wrote out exactly, like you know, you drew some stick figure of a man, you know, and this is all the traits you will have. Um, isn't it amazing to know like we could we could script it all out and it would take seconds for there to be variables in our plan. Like the, the very moment, the onset of when we had just wrote the exact plan that would be perfect in our mind for our life. It would take mere seconds for that plan to already have variables and differentials and all kinds of things making it different. Um, I'm really burdened tonight by this passage because not only is it very, very practical, but I really feel like it's going to get to the heart of uh, where many of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, uh, sit tonight. So you know that we're studying, uh, many of you, uh, the book of James, verse by verse. It's a very, by nature, practical book. Tonight will be uber practical and helpful, but I want to just remind you that the practicality that James has and offers us is all grounded in the gospel, okay, and what Christ has done and God and sending His Son, as we just sang about. And so, as tonight will be practical, I just want to make sure that you know, if you're here for the first time, we're not a self-help church, okay? You're not going to come in here like nice pleasantries that tickle your heart in the hopes that we can get a high-five at the end. We're here to glorify God, worship Him alone, and teach His Word. Are we together? Okay? Uh, so, I want you guys to open your Bibles, which you have under your seats, if you don't have one, to James chapter 4. I believe the page number in uh, one of our Bibles is 870 or seventy one. Somewhere close to there. We're going to end chapter 4 tonight of James, uh, which is uh, actually according to plan, so that's somewhat of a miracle. Um, James chapter 4, verse 13. You guys there? Sam there. There. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And again, the moo. Uh, Here we go. Verse uh, 13 of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Verse 14, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought, verse 15, to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And finally, in verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. I love this passage, honestly. I'm um, really excited to walk through it verse by verse with you. And I want to remind you of why we do this. I know many of you live in the premise that a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You're more about quantity than quality. You open your Bible, point your finger, and then just try to engulf as much as you can, read as much as you can, thinking that God's going to give you a high five and some like book it, you know, sticker and a free personal pan pizza for those of you guys that remember those days. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. Like, like, God is interested in us learning about his character from his scripture. So the reason why we take small chunks of scripture is not to belabor the point, but to help you study to show you that when you take uh, shorter uh, scriptures, for me, I've been studying this uh, for a couple weeks, that it's much more memorable than just scanning a chapter and hoping for the best, right? Are we together? So I want you to know if you're just joining us, we're going to go through this slowly, verse by verse, uh, to help, hopefully, your study. So verse 13 uh, starts out this way. A come now, which is, uh, I just appreciate his sense of humor. <laughs> a come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade, make a profit. James is specifically calling out maybe some businessmen, some folks who are super planned out who have done what Babe Ruth did. Um, Many of you guys have heard of Babe Ruth. Uh, It's a great candy bar, I know, but he was also a baseball player, a very famous baseball player. Babe came to the point uh, at one particular time in a game where, maybe you guys know the story, he called a shot. Points uh, out to right field, I believe, and uh, says that he's going to hit a home run in kind of a moment of great uh, uh, heroic nature, right? And Many of you guys who know the story knows that he hits the home run, calls a shot, says, "This is what I'm going to do," and then he follows through. That's what James is saying that these uh, folks are doing. He's saying, "You're saying today or tomorrow we're going to a, going to go in such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit." So, they do a few things. They say, 1st we're going to go today or tomorrow. We we'll take our future in our control in our hands. We're going to grab the steering wheel. We're going to go and." When we get there, we're going to trade. We know exactly what we're going to do when we get there. And we also know the result. We'll be there, we'll trade, and we'll make a profit. A problem is, and this is James's point, this plan has no regard for God. There's no room for God in this plan. It's all about what they deem possible, their plans, which certainly seem appropriate in their eyes. Um, I'm really burdened by this thought, as James clearly was. Because I fear that this is exactly where many of you, if not most of you, if not all of us find ourselves. Our plans, our life, our dreams, our visions, our perfect life plan laid before us, always written down, if not written, certainly always thought. And really, like if that doesn't happen to the exact way that we had dreamed it, we wonder what's going to happen now, right? Well, I think it's really, really possible for this to be one of the most dangerous things for Christians. Uh, For this reason, put up my quote here. Uh, This is a quote that actually I came up with, so there's no quotation marks here. Um, You can do what appears to be God's work with no regard for God. This whole issue for James is massively serious. He's writing to Christians because this issue right here. You can be claiming to be about God's work and still have no regard for God. You can lay out plans that even appear to be filled with ministry and still have no regard for God. I have a personal example I'd like to share, a moment of vulnerability and honesty about my ignorance. Um, I'm married, you guys know this, been married this Friday for 10 years. How about that? Huh? 10 years. 10 uh, Started dating at 16, met her when I was 12, um, so I've known her a long time, okay? Uh, only known her, actually, um, which is pretty awesome, but my wife, uh, when we were deciding to plant this church, Matthias's lot, I had gone to her, said we were going to plant a church that God had called me. She said, no, he didn't, and uh, so it kind of put me in an interesting predicament. I've shared this story. If you've been to the MV, you've heard it. Long story short, after nine months of leading my family astray, the reason I say that is uh, we were talking about starting a family, having kids, right? Having some riffraff run around. But I kept telling my wife that we needed to hold off on having children because if we planted a church, that uh, we weren't going to have money. If you don't know anything about church planting, the first few uh, years in the church, often the first few months, are really, really difficult. There's like 10 people coming. One of them's your mom. There's pets included in that number. Ties are low. It's difficult financially. And so I told my wife, like, look, th- like we need to hold off on having children, right? And what ended up happening is, uh, and I always share it this way, like I, I, I don't mess with God in elevators or airplanes. Like if you're taking notes, make sure you write that down. That's just a bad place to mess with God. So I'm on an airplane, Delta, I believe, and uh, on my way home from Seattle, and uh, God says, literally, just smacks me across the face, and says, you've been leading your family astray. And so I walked in my uh, house, and I told my wife, just said, hey, listen, I'm so sorry, sorry. Um, listen, we just need to surrender right now to, to the Lord. If he wants to provide for a family, he'll provide. If he wants to provide for a church, he'll provide. Like, we just need to say, God, we're, we're yours. And she said, let's, let's plan a church, which uh, seems like a brilliant strategy. It's like, why didn't you think of that 10 months ago? Like, clearly, like, husbands, apologize to your wives. It's, it's, you know, almost scripture, right? Like, please do that. Um, but what I was doing was I was doing God's work uh, with no regard for God. I was serving God, it appeared, and in doing so, serving myself. Are we, are we, are you guys, are we together? That's why, this issue, that's why this issue is so important to James. He's like, listen, um, if you think you can just go around and make your plans with no regard for God, you're mistaken. Okay? And uh, the scripture that really uh, points uh, to the power of this is uh, in Isaiah 55. that says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Can we just say, thank the Lord, right? <laughs> Seriously, you're laughing and then you're like, oh, wow, that would be horrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I love when the power of the word just sits on you for a second. You know what I'm saying? Think if God's thoughts were your thoughts. Think if you were equivalent to God. We would be in a world of hurt, wouldn't we? One of the most powerful things about this entire text is all the plans that you dream up. The ideal. Like if you were to write down, like, here's exactly how my, I, I have the most God fearing spouse. I have kids that are preaching the word at age three. I'm seeing 16 salvations a day in my workplace. I'm baptizing people in the sink in my workplace. Like, I'm just a part of massive revival. Retract that thought. I'm sorry about the baptism in the sink. You know, just like this... Like if you were to map it out exactly how you could potentially see like the most God-fearing, God-glorifying, all of that, it would still not even begin to compare to the things that God could do in you, dream for you, vision about you. You see what I'm saying? Like our thoughts are not his thoughts because even at the beginning of what we think ideal, his are so much greater because we sit in his palm and not the other way around. You guys understand what I'm saying. Like, it's the beautiful picture. That's why releasing this, as James is saying, releasing control is so beautiful. You think you got a great dream? Wait till you hear God's. You think you have great ideas? Wait till you hear God's ideas. And I know it's so hard to think that because you're like, I'm a pretty, you know, you th- you're thinking in your own mind, like, I'm pretty brilliant. Like, I'm, I'm actually got this thing all figured out and all under control. Give it time, like three seconds, and you'll find otherwise, right? Neither are your ways my ways, not just thoughts, but ways and actions. Verse 9 of Isaiah 55, For As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is why James is pointing out this issue. His ways are greater and higher. And so if you map out your plan with no regard for God, you have a whole world of hurt coming for you. And um, he lays this foundation to then make this a very, very uh, difficult statement in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. If you plan out tomorrow, say all this is going to happen, but you don't know what it will bring. This is just a great reminder, isn't it? Just, pause, just We have no idea what tomorrow will bring. I know we like to think that. It works both ways, blessings. Some of you will meet your spouse tomorrow. You're like, please. Like, that would be the best thing ever, right? You walk in a Sonic, actually, the, anyway. Uh, you walk somewhere in the Starbucks, right? And like, there she or he is, like, drinking that, I don't even drink coffee, that frappe or whatever the thing's called. Um, some of you who are in a financial duress tomorrow, it will just all go away. Something will happen and break through. Some of you that walked in here hopeless tomorrow. We'll have hope. Sometimes it works on the blessing side, other times in the tragic side, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Who could have thought if you're sitting in a car headed to the dark night that that would be the last night you'd ever live? Like, there's no way you could have ever predicted. Tonight there will be a gunman that walks in and he'll shoot people and I will be one of them and I will die tonight. Like No one could ever dream that up. Um, similarly, I was sitting with a family in our church who telling me a story a couple days ago about uh, their brother-in-law who was 38 and had two kids. Standing on a ladder, all of a sudden a piece of plaque from his heart falls off and he dies instantly. Like we don't wake up or think or live in the reality that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We like to think that we do. We like to think that we have it all under wraps. Um, but we have no clue. That's why it's so powerful. What he adds here in the middle of verse 14, he says, uh, then what is your life? Which is a phenomenal question, because if we don't know what tomorrow will bring, then what do we do, right? So you're like, uh, actually, now that I think about it, being a cave dweller would be pretty appealing, right? Like If I don't know what tomorrow will bring, I'll just find a nice, heating and cool cave with a great pillow, you know, maybe cable, some little person that brings in food like whatever like you you think that this would be good right Um, I feel like that we have two responses really to not knowing what tomorrow will bring and again like we just live and so oftentimes don't think about it and even now you're starting to feel the weight of it not knowing what tomorrow will bring both blessing and trouble some of you just get filled with anxiety about that what what is it right now in your life the situation the story the thing that you're consumed with. What is it, huh? What is it that you're like, you walked in here thinking about you're still thinking about it, you're texting about it right now. Like, like what is the thing that's got you burdened, right? Um, You're wondering, like, how is it all gonna play out? What's gonna fall through the cracks? How is this thing gonna all, and one response is just anxiety. You get filled completely burdened, bogged down, weighed down with the stress of it all. And that life takes no regard for God. That life has no God in the picture. I could begin to share the numerous passages, including cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, as just one example. But if that's your response to you not knowing what tomorrow brings, then you find yourself right now, as many of you are just sitting in your anxiety. I don't know what's gonna happen, please. I don't, I, I can't. And God has nowhere a part of the is nowhere a part of the picture. Still seeking wisdom from others, still trying to and know. Communication with the Lord. The other side of the coin is not knowing what tomorrow brings actually makes you excited because it's adventure. Right? These, these are followers of God. Hey, have you guys ever wanted to go on a safari? Like there was something so much in my heart. I haven't done it yet. I really want to. Like just like drop me in Africa somewhere, put me in a Jeep, and I just want to like hang with kangaroos. You know what I'm saying? Like this would be it would be brilliant. I love adventure. Listen, we all love adventure. Or kangaroos in Africa. You guys are I feel like you guys are questioning my judgment aren't they australia, australia? okay remember, remember. are lions there like whatever you pick the animal i don't care rabbit dogs you know what i mean whatever all right we should be people that thrive on adventure why because we don't know what tomorrow brings but god does and we sit underneath his authority Underneath his sovereignty, sovereignty, the way I could best put that word is his kingship. He is king over all, sits on the one throne, right? And so as we wonder what we should be responding to, it's either anxiety or adventure. And so you're like, well, how can you be adventurous when trouble comes? Well, that, that's easy. When trouble comes and you're adventurous, you still know that God's in control. And so you sit underneath it and wonder how it is that you can still give God glory in it, right? Like that's part of the adventure. I confessed uh, at our marriage retreat this past winter that... My marriage, like the thing that will kill marriages quicker than anything is if you lose the sense of adventure. I would say the same about your faith. If it's become dull and dry and bored, that's not the way it was intended to be. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Use that to your advantage. It's a blessing. It's not a curse. If you knew what tomorrow would bring, that would be pretty dicey. Agree? Like all, we would be so consumed about helping shape maybe that not be so. If you knew the tragedy that would happen tomorrow in your life, you would be so consumed with it now, you wouldn't even be able to see what God was doing in it. Are we, you guys understand? Right. So then he says this, what is your life? And please see this next part of the passage. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes, a mist. Um, I uh, have determined, I told my good friends this, that my favorite thing to do in the entire world is to go snow skiing. Uh, any of the rest of you guys? Like, literally, my favorite thing in the world, okay? All two of us, we're gonna go sometime. Um, I love it. For me, uh, here's the process that I love so much. You, you're in a warm home, okay? Which I've been on many trips to Breckenridge and all over Colorado. You're in a warm home, and and the, the key part of skiing is the garb. Um, it, it's like a, you have to be coordinated. For those of you guys that are ski or snowboard, like, garb is like at least 60% of the battle. You have to look the part. And so I rock this a big gold, a black hat with gold spikes uh, down the middle. And I know many of you are thinking, like, that was so out five years ago. Like, I still work it, you know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's working for me. So I got this hat, I got my goggles, I got a yellow coat on, so you can, like, see me like a little banana coming down the <laughs> mountain. It's pretty awesome. But there's this amazing moment after you put your boots on and your boots in your skis. And you go out after being in a warm home, and even if you've got a face covering, and you begin to breathe. I love that moment when you can see your breath, right? And for me, uh, in this moment, as I read this passage, that's the thought that comes. This word mist means vapor or smoke. And if you ever uh, breathe, you know, in a situation like that, you know that it's, it's, breathe the word, right? I'm not even sure. If you've ever done that before, you know it's gone. A brother of mine was telling me after the first service, he loves over his pond when there's all kinds of vapor in the morning. And the moment the sun hits it, it's gone, and the bible says that that's what you are. You're a vapor. A mist. Here just for a short time. So I'm back to my same question, then what do we do? If we're a vapor, if we're a mist, if we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, if we shouldn't just plan out everything with no regard for God, then what what should we do? What should we hold on to? I'd like to point out one guarantee before we move on. Your guarantee born into this world is you will die. That's what a am miss- See what I say? Like it will vanish. You will die unless Christ comes back before. That's your guarantee. You're like, I came here for some encouragement tonight, and the pastor said I was going to die. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, the Bible says that because one man sinned, all have sinned. And I know when you think of a guarantee, you instantly think of Tommy Boy, but uh, the, the thought of this moment, is that, um, that we're guaranteed because of the sin of Adam to die. That's part of our curse. And so if that's part of my curse, if I'm a vapor and I'm just here for a short time, then what should I be doing with my life? And the question is not in a cave. The question and the answer in lies in living urgently. And that's why he adds the answer here in our next uh, verse. 15. Instead, this is how you should, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So I'm not going to make my own plans with no regard for the Lord. I'm going to realize that I'm a mist, and I'm a vapor. I'm going to live urgently, recognizing that I'm temporary. I'm going to have full regard for the Lord, so much so that I'm going to live in such a way that if the Lord wills, then it will happen. And this opens a big, big gamut, doesn't it? Right. I know many of you guys, and I appreciate this kind of language. You say things like... Um, You'll say like, well, I'll see you tomorrow, right? And you guys will be like, well, if, Lord willing, you know, you're kind of like, maybe, <laughs> like, we'll see what happens tonight, right? Um, and I've always kind of chuckled at that, like, that's kind of funny, like, Lord willing. It's really biblical, actually. Check this out in Acts 18. I found this for all those you guys who say this. Now we'll all start saying this, probably. Um, and they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, Paul. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined, <laughs> Uh, which is just kind of a funny move. And I don't want to preach on this, but uh, like him saying, like, I don't think so. He actually goes back later, but um, <laughs> verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills, right? I'll come back, God willing. <laughs> like, we'll see what happens, right? And he set sail from Ephesus. So I know that in some of your language, you guys uh, share things like that, and I certainly appreciate that. One of my biggest questions that I ever get asked is what's God will for my life? Biggest questions. What James is saying is, if the Lord wills, then it will happen. So how do I know God's will? I get asked uh, all the time, Mark, which school should I go to? What do you think? Um, like, and you're like, well, is, is Maryville in the Bible anywhere? Like, is, can I, is MOBAP? Is that in the, I know Baptist is. Does that count? You know, is there, um, like, place to live? Like, all of these things. Remember that the Bible is written, and uh, verse, verse numbers were added later. Last week we studied this amazing passage that said if you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. The nearer you draw to the Lord, the clearer His will becomes. Period. The nearer you draw near to Him, communion, fellowship with the Lord through Scripture and prayer, the clearer His will becomes. The same people who are constantly asking the questions, what is God's will? aren't seeking god for his will all they want is the answers they just want wisdom they want to feed off of the things that god should have i know he's probably got the best answers so if i just go there then maybe he'll tell me and i can do it but really not have any focus at all for god himself so i I just ask you guys the question like are you are you seeking and do you want god's will without seeking god (laughs) That seems ludicrous, right? But that's what we're doing, aren't we? Man, I, I, want the, I want God's will for my life. Like, that's the thing I really want. And I haven't read the Bible in like three months. But I want His will, I promise. Where I, you, know? you can't have His will and know His will apart from the written will that's, that's in the Scripture and what the Spirit's doing in your life to reveal those things. Like, if you want to know what school to go to, start reading the Bible, you're like, well, it's not going to say Missouri Baptist in there. Give it time. And I'm not saying the words will be there, but all of a sudden you'll find yourself in deep communion with the Lord, reading Matthew 23, and pretty soon out will pop this answer that your heart's been longing for because you've been seeking him. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. If the Lord wills, then all of a sudden his answers become clear to you. problem is you don't want to hear what they are most times because you had your plan written out. You had the hands on the steering wheel. And so God finally says, okay, uh, here's the answer that you've been seeking. And you're like, I don't think that will work for me. Um, I mean, I'm glad you answered it all. Finally, it seemed like it took forever, like all 10 minutes here I've been asking, right? Can I ask you guys this? Straight up, honest, heart to heart, heart to heart, whatever. Um, Are you scared of what God might say? are any of you fearful tonight of what God might call you to? Are any of you in your mind like, I know he's maybe calling me to end this relationship, but if I ask him, he may say that that's what I'm supposed to do and I really don't want to do that. Could you just maybe in your own heart like just confess that that's what's going on right now? Maybe like going into further debt God, do you want me to go in more debt? Uh, No. You're afraid of that answer? How far are we from God when Christians have stopped seeking him because we're afraid of what he might say? Is that where we find ourselves, seriously? That we've just stopped seeking God's will because we don't want his will? powerful thought that he adds this thought to in verse 16 he says as it is you boast in your arrogance (laughs) all such boasting is evil as it is the reality is you're boasting in your arrogance here's this point this is beautiful check this out this is actually the thing that's most got my heart stirred tonight so i do apologize but um, i don't apologize just go with it When your hands are on the steering wheel, when you think you're in control, when you've come to cruxes in your life and you think you've made the decision, what happens when you succeed? Come on, you look in the mirror and what do you think? I'm pretty awesome, right? Like this was a huge decision and I made it. I sought out counsel from myself, right? Like, like I, I came to this point where I made, like, I made the tough call. I made the tough call and it worked out. Like this is awesome. This is what I have done, Right? When you've got your hands on the steering wheel, when all goes well, when you succeed, when you pull through, it's so easy to look in the mirror and say, look at me. Like, this is incredible. What happens when you fail? That same person who had his hands on the steering wheel and succeeded and took credit, when you fail, taking no regard for God, you are so quick to blame others. Blame others and every other circumstance except yourself. That's how you can tell whether your plans are in the will of God or they're taking your own accord, and that's it. When you succeed, do you give yourself glory? When you fail, do you blame everything else? The flip side, when you come to moments of victory and joy after seeking the Lord and communion, taking great regard for Him, and all of a sudden, He blesses in ways even beyond your comprehension, the glory goes directly to Him. You find yourself never in arrogance, never boasting, because you realize what a wretched man or woman you are and how deep his grace is. And so whenever the success comes, whenever the, the joy comes, you instantly give him joy. And then what happens in the trial, the trouble, the duress? What do you do? Instead of blaming everyone else, you start thanking God for teaching you. You start thanking God, as the scripture says, for our suffering, that we could develop perseverance through it. You start thanking God for the ways that he's revealing your character and even some of the deepest points of your despair, realizing that he'll pull you out. Um, I feel like we find ourselves on the other, boasting in our arrogance and blaming others instead of glorying in God's will and celebrating even in the trouble or trial. This is uh, most illustrated by a passage that I'd like to share with you guys. No need to turn there. This is really, really on my heart. If you haven't heard a thing tonight... um, Can you just hear this for a second, okay? In Matthew uh, chapter 16, Jesus uh, has just had this amazing interaction with a Canaanite woman. And the Bible says this, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. I've been there, beautiful scene, kind of mountainous behind. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. Isn't that just an awesome picture? I don't know how many of you guys picture Jesus with some like Fabio hair, and it's like flowing in the wind, you know what I'm saying? But just, just imagine this for a moment. Like the Lord Jesus just had this amazing interaction with the Canaanite woman, and now he just heads up on the mountain and sits. Same mountain that he's prayed on before. He just parks it, you know? The Savior of the universe, sitting. And here's what happens. And great crowds came to him. They've heard. They've heard he's a healer. They've heard he's a great teacher. They want to be around him. And they bring with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put, him out. They put them at, at his feet. So he sits down, minding his own business, which is always the business of everything, right? And these people just start bringing the blind and the lame and the crippled, and they're just putting them at the feet of Jesus. What will he do? What's going to happen? What will the Lord proclaim? And uh, the scripture says, this powerful moment that he healed them. You just picture this amazing moment like Jesus sitting down on the mountain. People are laying people at the, feet, at the foot of uh, Christ and he's just healing all of them. But here's the most intriguing part of the passage. So that the crowd wondered. So he- here's what happened. He's healing them, but there's no evidence yet. Because they're all right here. So they're, they're like everyone's sitting back like, what's going on here? And Jesus, all at once or one at a time, however, he's doing, he's healing them, but there's no evidence. And then look at this when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled, healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So all of a sudden, they see the healed. And all they know what to do is to glorify the healer. They instantly connect their healing with the healer. They can't boast in themselves. It's clear in that moment that there's only one place to boast. Have you ever found yourself in the deepest parts of recognizing your own healing? Could you imagine in this moment one of the blind men standing up and being like, I just did that. Like, I've been blind for 30 years. Boom, put mud in my eyes. Good to go. You know what I mean? I know these rest of these guys, Jesus probably did this, but I worked this on my own, you know. Everyone would have said, you're crazy, like, that's ludicrous, that certainly didn't happen. Then why are we doing the same thing? We are the healed. Can you remember, just for a moment, what God has pulled you out of? Remember what the pit felt like? Remember what your drunken stupor felt like? Remember what your sexcapades felt like and it never provided anything? Remember that? Remember? Remember? And all of a sudden, God in his rich mercy reached down and pulled you out of the pit and breathed life into your lungs and heart. Remember what that felt like? Well, the instant thought, the instant evidence should be the blind seeing, the lame walking, the crippled being healed. And those healed instantly boasting in the healer by releasing the control of their life and saying, it's you that I want to glorify. Your plans need to become my plans because your ways are higher than my ways. But what the church is doing is we're walking around healed And acting as if we have done the healing work. So I just say to all of you who have known the grace of Christ and healing in your life. If we for one more second believe that somehow the healed can disconnect from the healing. Is there a greater danger in our world? They want healing. They're looking for help. They're in the same despair that you once found yourself. And they don't need a church that's looking in the mirror proclaiming their own glories. They're looking, looking. People who have no idea who the Lord is. I know this may, not be con- this may be contrary to what you think. They're looking for a group of people to say, we have a better hope and it's not in us. Because they know they're hopeless. They may never confess it, they may, they may never speak it, it may never be written in any kind of document, but they know in their heart, in and of themselves, everything they try to control eventually fails. They're looking for something. We need to be the people, the healed, that say, hey, he's the healer. Like, we're not looking in the mirror and saying, look what we've done, we're saying, look what he's done, that he can take a wretch like me and somehow, though, a mist and a vapor, use me for his glory. That's crazy. But it's not not what's happening. We find ourselves, oh, look at me. I'm awesome. I'm doing all this great work in Christ for God, right, while wanting the glory in and of ourselves. So I just pull back for a moment and say this. If you've never been healed by God, if you uh, are, listen, if you're in here tonight and you're so tired because all you've been doing is trying to write out that exact plan that you thought was going to work out, and it just it's not ever. Every turn you come to, it's falling apart. Let me, can I tell you this? The burden is already off. The debt's already been paid. There's already victory. And it's, just, it's never going to be in you. It's only in Christ. So if you can get over yourself, which is the problem in the first place, and finally just let go and say, God, like I, I want what you want. For my life, no matter what that means, um, then all of a sudden the same death that you were guaranteed becomes a guarantee of life. Could we like we could just say that over and over, couldn't we? You came into this earth on this world, guaranteed death, but in Christ, guaranteed life. That's pretty incredible. But you gotta let go. You gotta release the hands, the grip of the steering will have. To come off, if the Lord wills whatever you want, I will do. Have you heard of Jonah? You guys ever heard of that story? If you've never heard, in my it's one of my kids' favorite stories, mostly because there's a picture of a large fish they get to stare at. Um, they also know Daddy doesn't like fishing. I know many of you do. Repent and be saved. However, um, I don't like fishing. Jonah, uh, here's what God wants for him to do, and then what he does is what James uh, ends with. By saying this, so whenever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. So in other words, there's moments, like Jonah, when you've been seeking God's will, you want God's will. Yes, God, please, like, profoundly impact me with your will. Like, show me everything about your God. Just just give me your will. And like Jonah, God says, hey, go to Nineveh and preach. And Jonah's like, I don't know about that. Like, that's not, and he runs from God. God and it doesn't go well for him, and I'll say this, and I'll make this very, very clear. When you run from him, it never goes well, ever, ever. When you run to him, when you find yourself at the footplace of his throne, you will be amazed at the depth of his grace on a wretch even like you. So, I just, I just want to get really, really heart to hearts tonight. Some of you, you know for sure what God's calling you to do. And you've been too scared to do it. You know the decision you need to make. You know the call that has to be made. I know it's tough. I know it's not easy. Listen, could we ask God tonight to give you and increase your faith? And it could be the relationship ends because it's so sexually driven and not God-focused. And it could be finally that you become the man that God's made you to be and you're rid of your addictions, and it could be you name it. It could be a litany of things. God, you know what God's calling you to, to do. But you've just been too fearful. Uh, what James says is, those folks who know God's will and don't do it—that's a sin. And then you find yourself running from the one thing that has healed you or that can heal you. Let's uh, stand up together. I want to share a couple of things. I think uh, what may be going through your mind is what was going through Timothy's mind. Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And I imagine Timothy at some point saying, but Paul, I'm a miss. Like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a young dude. Like, I'm a vapor. I'm insignificant. Like, what, what is God? And then Paul writes the powerful words to Timothy that many of you know do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Oh, you're a mist. You're a vapor, but don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul tells Timothy, "Oh, you're a vis- uh, you're a vapor, you're a mist, but you're on this earth to be used by God for his glory in your short and temporary time. Oh, you're fragile. Oh, that body of yours can go in an instant and your heart and soul rest forever in eternity, but know this while you're on this earth, though temporary, still significant, still sons. Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. You're a mist, but you're a mist. And so I just look at all of us tonight, including myself, who is deeply burdened by this text. And I say, I want to be reminded of what the healer has done in my life. and Maybe just maybe that humbling, sobering thought of how far he has pulled me out, maybe just maybe, that will cause me to never boast again in anything that I could ever do and to rest in his plans for me, no matter what scary, frightening thing that could be. And so I just say right now, what if this whole place just became a place of healing? Connecting truly with the healer. Hearts softened, broken even. That's what I want to see happen in my heart, and I pray yours. So I'm going to pray for that, that God would increase our faith. And I wonder what it would look like if the blind in here started to see and the lame started to be healed and the crippled started to walk. And then God all of a sudden uses these used to be crippled vapors. Let's pray for that tonight. God, I confess my own thoughts at times that my ways are more significant and better than yours and I repent of that to you. I pray for that heart of repentance in my brothers and sisters in this room. That they find themselves in a place of longing, releasing control, and resting in your sovereignty and your kingship. I pray, God, that our yielding to your will finds ourself seeking you. I pray against God just seeking your blessings or the easy answers. God, give us all that you have for us us know that your perspective is much deeper and wider than ours that your love never ending god help us see that and i pray for my brothers and sisters in this room just struggling to make the tough call knowing what you've called them to do and still running from it god give them courage give us courage tonight god increase our faith god remind us that you've put the spirit in our heart to embody who it was that you were god please embolden us tonight Help us to not live as vapors and mists in the negative sense, God, but to celebrate the adventure you've called us to experience. Give us courage and help us boast in you.